This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless this is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 655 with Piers Kowalski. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 655. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey mamas, before we dive into this episode, a quick note. We are in this impossibly difficult time right now. And the last couple of years just keep feeling like they get harder and harder. And we feel like we just keep having the rug pulled out from under us. And we want to feel more powerful and we want to feel hopeful and we want to feel like we're agents of change. And because I know that so many of you are coming to me and commenting on things I'm sharing on social media, saying that you're feeling powerless and maybe isolated and possibly stuck and honestly afraid in a lot of instances, I wanted to create an opportunity to make sure that you feel some support and make sure that you have the opportunity to learn and grow and really use your voice in new ways because I know so many of you are wanting to do that, but you don't know where to start. And also because you want to connect with other moms and just be able to have a safe place where you can come together with other women who are wanting to be agents of change, who are wanting to step into leadership and who are really wanting to not just sit back and watch the world unfold as it is, but really step into power in new and exciting ways, um, maybe scary ways, but new and exciting ways. So if you are wanting to use your voice and you want to do something, but you don't know where to start, or you just want to be around other moms who are action takers, 
I want to let you know that I'm going to be opening up enrollment for Momentum Mamas, our membership community, next week for just a few days. I wasn't planning on doing this. We were going to do it in September, which we'll potentially still do it then. But I just know that there's so many of you right now who are sitting there thinking, I have to do something. I have to do something. I need to learn how to use my voice. I can't just sit and watch horrible things happen over and over again and not feel like I am being someone who is owning their power and their role in creating a better world. So if you are interested in Momentum Mamas and you want to improve your mindset, your self-talk, your sense of self and identity, maybe you want to improve your ability to take courageous and confident action on a regular basis. Maybe you want to improve your ability to use your voice or your power in order to challenge the status quo. I got you. (laughs) Those are all the things that we do inside of Momentum Mamas. So if you are interested in learning more and you want to make sure that you get notified when we open enrollment, it's only going to be open for a few days and I don't want you to miss it if you're interested. So go to shamelessmom.com slash newsletter and you'll get on our email list and you'll get everything you need next week in your inbox. So go to shamelessmom.com slash newsletter. Then make sure you check your inbox. Make sure you actually get a reply from us that doesn't go to spam or anything like that. Make sure you whitelist info at shamelessmom.com so that you're getting all our emails. And then from there, you'll get everything you need to know about our upcoming open enrollment for Momentum Mamas. Thank you for being here. I value you. We're in hard times, but we're going to keep going and we're going to step into our power and we're going to use our voices and we're going to do it together. Piers Kowalski is an average father of two with a not so average story. Born and raised in Colorado, Piers lived and worked on the West Coast for 11 years before moving back to Colorado with his wife. He started building a career in his dream field of performance psychology. His wife went back to school for nursing, and they had two children. They seemed to be living a typical life. But at the age of 36, Piers was seven years, two kids, and two dogs into marriage when he discovered he was transgender. He was afraid he was going to lose everything and everyone he loved. On a mission to change the world, Piers shares his story of pain, self-discovery, fear, love, and hope— to help others understand the transgender experience, community, and humanity. I was introduced to Piers recently via another school mom from Vinny's school, and she pointed me to his Instagram, and I've been stalking him ever since. I am so impressed with his mission and his vision and so deeply touched by his story and so incredibly honored that he's here today to share his story with us. We've had parents of trans kids on the show, but we've never had a trans parent on the show. So this is going to be a really... I hope helpful conversation, helpful, enlightening, supportive. I also want to point out that this episode is going live pretty coincidentally on June 1st. We just recorded last week and I was like, hey, are you cool if I release this on June 1st and we're going to kick off Pride Month and let's just like raise awareness in all the ways that we can as we kick off this month where we are really celebrating and honoring our LGBTQ plus community members, family members, friends, loved ones, etc. So Piers said that was fine. He was cool with us kicking off Pride Month with him. And I'm really excited to dig into this conversation. I want to point out something that Piers shared with me, a little statistic. And he talks about this in the interview, but I think it's important that you're thinking of this as you're listening in on this conversation. As of 2021, four in 10 people know a trans person, yet 56% of people believe that gender cannot change. And I hope as you listen into this conversation that you are impacted by the power of Piers' story, by his vulnerability, by his transparency, and that your mind might shift and expand a little bit. And hopefully you can go out into your community and help other people shift and expand their minds around 
what it is to be trans, what it is to support trans members in our community, and what it might be to even be a parent of a trans child, what you would do and say if your trans child were to come out. All these things are so critical, so incredibly critical. So listen in to hear Piers share the process of realizing he was transgender at the age of 36, the choice he had to make to either live with his family as a woman, internalizing destructive pain, or take the risk of transitioning to living in his full identity as a male and potentially lose everything that meant the most to him, the social conditioning of shame that creates immense and unnecessary pain for trans people, especially around transitioning, his experience of coming out to his mom and where she made missteps out of love, but that ultimately caused him harm, simple steps cisgender people can take to support transgender people, and his four parts advice for parents and guardians of a child who identifies as trans or non-binary or who might be gender expansive or diverse in their gender identity or expression. Oh my goodness, there is so much in this conversation. I know that you are going to learn so much from listening to Pierce's story. And I really hope that you take this story and share it with others because these are the stories that we need to hear. These are the stories that need to be shared so that we can help the 56% of people who believe that gender cannot change, help them see how destructive it is if we don't let people live as they truly are. So with all that, please help me in welcoming Piers Kowalski to the Shameless Mom Academy. Piers, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited and really honored to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We have had a handful of parents of trans kids come on the show. We also, in our communities, we have a handful of parents of trans kids. So I feel like that's a perspective that my audience has become a little more familiar with, which I think is really, really important. We've never had a trans parent on the show. And so I so appreciate you coming into this conversation and being open to sharing your story and just really with like great enthusiasm saying yes to this conversation. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the invitation, you know, to be able to share my perspective. If it can help people, I'm happy to do that. All right. So we're going to dig in then. So I always start off with inviting folks to tell us a little bit about their personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Sure. So I think what I'm most excited about, we, I live in Colorado with my wife and our two kids and our 10 year old puppy. And I share that I think, cause I'm personally like, I'm always excited about life in Colorado. So we're transitioning mm-hmm. out of ski season and into camping season And, you know, our kids go to an amazing forest school where they're outside pretty much all day. And, you know, we love to get out and camp in our family adventure bus. And so I think looking forward to the summer, that personally is what I'm really excited about. I love it. We as parents also have gotten like more appreciative of seasons since my son started skiing, especially. So I totally feel that where you're like ski season was awesome, but now like now it's going to be summer season. And there's a lot of fun things that come with that. So that's great. Exactly. Can you tell us, we're going to dig into your story and Can you tell us the story of realizing that you were transgender at the age of 36? And I want to also say before you start the story, I was so curious when I read this in in your bio, because I've heard so many stories of people, whether they're it's realizing that, oh my gosh, I'm gay or trans or like so many different things. And it's often at a much younger age. And so take, walk us through it, walk us through the 36 years. Yeah. 36 years. I'm not sure I'm going to get through all of them, but <laughs> I think the best way to help people make, you know, understand my story and where I, where I like to start is at the tipping point. So at 36, you know, what was going on and how did I figure it out? And then working backwards from there. So 
I had been unsettled, you know, edgy, angry for some time. And for me, it came on slowly. Like looking back, it, that anger was coming on over the course of years and not months. But like, I couldn't see that then. And the problem was that my anger was getting worse instead of getting better. You know, it was showing up at work and at home. It's like everywhere I went, I went, that edge went with me. So finally, after one you know, particularly bad moment where I had directed that anger at my wife, she told me that I needed to see someone, you know, implied a counselor. And I remember so vividly, I was standing at the kitchen table, folding laundry, like sorting socks. And I think her exact words were, I'm not sure what story you're telling yourself, but you need to figure it out. And in that moment, I was still angry. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, this is on, you know, like just throwing it right back in my head at her direction. But there was a seriousness to her tone. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much as like a gentle suggestion, but it was really a firm and loving line drawn in the sand. And so I found someone, you know, there was no question and and I found someone. And at this time you were two women in a lesbian marriage, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Just painting the picture for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. So my first counseling session, and this was the first time I had seen a counselor in my life was 60 minutes long. And I walked in. You know, we exchanged like brief pleasantry type introductions and he glanced at my paperwork where I had written why I was there, like my goal for counseling. And I had written something like controlling, I wanted to control my anger better around my family. So he looked at it and he said, okay, tell me more about why you're here. And instead of answering, I just started to cry Mm. and I proceeded to cry on and off for the next 50 minutes. And without knowing it, you know, my mind left the room several times as I cried, you know, and he used like the grounding technique to bring me back. He's like, can you feel your feet on the floor? Can you feel the tissue in your hand? And I was like, sort of, Mm. it was an emotion that was so unexpected and just seemed really to swallow me whole. My second session was another 60 minutes and I'm pretty sure I cried for 45 minutes. So (laughs) I made like a small improvement on that. But, you know, it was like a little bit of small talk about our weekends. He asked like a seemingly simple question about my family. He said, you know, like, I'm so glad you had a great weekend. Tell me what was so good about spending that time with your family. And I just started crying. It's that same like unexpected, overwhelming emotion. And I realized that anytime I talk about my family, I cry. Mm -hmm. And it was baffling to me. So the first thing that he really did is he helped me to label what it was feeling. He's like, that looks like a lot of pain. I was like, okay, I hadn't considered like, what was it that was making me cry? But like, yeah, okay, that's painful. It was a deep pain. And the second thing he did is he asked what it was the most life-changing question for me. And he said, if that emotion, if that pain had a voice and it was trying to tell you something, what would it be saying? And the answer came to me immediately. I mean, split second, it came to me and I kind of fought it back and I was sitting there and I fought it back. And after a few moments of like arguing with myself, I finally was like, okay, I know what it's saying, but I don't understand it. Like, it doesn't make sense. It can't be right. I said, it's telling me that I'm unhappy. And like, that didn't make sense to me because if you had asked me in a conversation, I'd be like, I love my life. I am filled with joy and gratitude every single day. Like I have an amazing family. I love where I live. I was like, so I don't get it. And he's like, well, maybe it's just saying you could be happier. I'm like, okay, sure. Sure. Like I can get on board with that. I suppose we can all be a little happier, you know, like kind of dismissive. And I was like, yeah, I've been a little, you know, I love my work, but I've been a little unsettled at my job, you know, so maybe that's it. And like looking back, it's so impressive to me the way that my mind made up this story to fit those feelings. Yeah. So it was a week or so later 
random Saturday afternoon, my wife and I were sitting on the floor in our living room while our kids who were one and three at the time, they were like miraculously napping at the same time in that like 12 to two window, mm-hmm. which just wasn't happening very often at that time. Such precious moments. <laughs> I know. Right. So we're just sitting on the living room floor talking about nothing in particular, you know, like life schedules, just stuff that's hard to talk about when there's two kids running around. And out of the blue, I'm like, oh, there's a box in the hall closet. It's got a bunch of stuff in it. I tucked it away. It needs to go to Goodwill. You know, let me just like go through it to make sure none of it's yours. So I pull this box out of the hall closet and I bring it to the floor of the living room and I start going through it. And I pull it like, there's a couple of scarves. There's like an unworn Icelandic wool sweater of all things with like tags <laughs> still on it. And then there's this hat. And this hat was a faded green Moe's Broadway bagel hat from 1995 from my hometown in Boulder. And the bill is like bent and fraying at the edges. The hat is floppy and tattered. Like some of the seams have already given, if not about to give. I have moved this hat from Colorado to California to Washington, back to Colorado over the course of 24 years, despite not having worn it since like 1997. (laughs) So I pull this hat and I like put it on and my wife looks at me and she's like, no, you cannot wear that hat. And I like, you know, it's playful. I was like, okay, I laugh. I take the hat off. And I said, fine. I was like, what does Marie Kondo say again? I was like, to thank it and let it go. She's like, yeah. So I look at this hat and I tried to thank it and I couldn't. Like it just got stuck inside of me. And I was overcome with that same emotion and that same sadness and pain all balled up into one. And now I'm sitting on my living room floor sobbing. Like I tried to hold mm-hmm. it in and there was, there was no hope. And my, life, my wife, Taryn, she looks at me and she's like, Marie Kondo also says you can be sad about it. <laughs> that's her heart. I know. Yeah. And so, you know, I laugh and like through my tears, I'm like, that's good. Cause apparently I'm really fucking sad about it. <laughs> that was the moment that I knew mm. it was what I knew, like what everything was about my anger, my sadness, my pain, my unhappiness. And the best way that I can describe it, how, you know, something that deep is if you think about like a action adventure movie or a comic where they have those really intricate locks to a safe and there's like a lot of little prongs that have to go into the right place. And like maybe a few get slid in, but, but it's not open. So a few of my, like those prongs had been slid into place, but the door had been closed. And this hat was like the keystone thing that it slid in. And that one piece was like, shink, and the rest of the lock was like, and the door popped open. Wow. And behind that door, it was like, that door popped open and I knew, but I was so afraid to look. It was just like, Partly, I think, because I knew it was behind the door, but it was also just this black hole, like a total vacuum behind something that I knew was just so much now unknown. So I'm sitting in, you know, like all of that has just happened in my head and I feel the need to explain myself to my wife. So finally from beneath tears, you know, I'm like, I really want to tell you what's happening for me right now. I was like, but I can't. And so I was like, maybe later. So pull myself together. Kids get up, you know, we continue about our day like parents do. Mm-hmm. And later that night, kids had gone to bed. I was sitting at the kitchen counter across from my wife and I was looking at the microwave clock and it said 843. And I was like, around the time we would start moving towards bed. And I finally said, I was like, we don't have to talk about this now, but I have to say it now. It's about the hat. And I'm like rushing my words to get out, you know, get it out before the courage evaporates. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm worried that I'm struggling with my gender identity. And like, I got the words out just before tears swallowed me again. Mm. And she came around the corner to come for me. And she said, whatever path you take, love. And so even in like that early moment, I knew how lucky I was. 
And I put my head in my hands on the counter and I was just like, it just seems like doing anything else seems so complicated. And for me, that was like, in my head, I already could formulate this idea of transitioning. I knew that was where I wanted to go. I hadn't said that aloud to myself. It was just like this deep knowing and I couldn't figure out what that would look like. There were just too many pieces. There were kids, there was a career basically built on speaking and teaching. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, I just can't see it. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time that I had words and put words to my experience. And at that moment, it was mostly really scary and really painful. And part of why I think it felt so scary and so complicated and painful was because all of my life, I had had like some kind of vision of what my future would look like. You know, like the vision changed and grew as I had grown and changed, but there was always a vision, like in some way, shape or form, I could see myself in the future. And when that door popped open, it was like every vision of my future self vanished and it was just dark. It was just blackness. And I had no clue. And included in that was my biggest fear, which was, you know, despite my wife's reaction in that moment, my biggest fear was that I would lose my family. Yeah. You know, I married a woman who was attracted to women. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid that if I was different, that she wouldn't want me, that she wouldn't want me to parent our children, you know, that she would take them and leave me. And I like couldn't see a life without them. It's hard for me to say that and now, you know, knowing where we are now, because I think if I was forced to choose, I would have chosen my family. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it would have destroyed me to have that pain inside any longer. That was the first you know, time that I expressed that I had words that I understood what was happening for me. And then I can link it to, you know, to going back to my childhood, but I'll pause there. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. 
Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing that, all those pieces. And what a really powerful story. You're a really gifted storyteller as a side note. <laughs> Clearly you do this for a living. Thanks. Um, so I want to ask, had you had inklings before or language around that perhaps I am a man living in a woman's body and then you just realized it to be true or had that not even been in your consciousness at all? That's a really interesting question and it's complicated because it's both. And so what I'll say is I realized, you know, once I got to that point where I had language, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Now that I put that lens and I looked back over my experience, I could see it coming. There were hints, Mm. you know, there were things like I would daydream about, you know, a socially acceptable way to have a mastectomy, Mm. you know, like, which is like, I don't think something that most cis women would think about. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) You know, and there were some smaller hints that looking back, I think I knew I was questioning for years before that moment. But while I had those thoughts, I did not allow them to be mine. So I remember, you know, coming across some like gender expression versus gender identity research. And I, you know, was looking through a website and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I guess I identify as women, but I like express androgynous, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of convinced myself of that. Yeah. So I think there were hints, there were clues, you know, even in my adult life, but I didn't let them be mine. You know, I, I didn't share them with anybody else. They never left my head and I didn't even let them, you know, belong to me. Yeah. I want to also talk about the pain that you referenced. I think that's such an important piece of your story, of the story of anyone I've ever spoken to or anyone who has had a family member who's transitioned. And I think it's really important that we talk about this and thank you for talking about it so vulnerably, because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around that your gender identity can be a choice and it's this light thing and you can go back and forth. And like, there's this levity sometimes that people bring to it, people who really don't understand and people who really don't honor what it is. And I think that when we bring levity to it, 
we don't honor the pain and we don't really acknowledge that pain going unaddressed does destroy people. And you touched a bit on that, knowing that like, I could have chosen to keep things as is in order to protect the family that meant so much to me. And also that level of pain would have been so internally destructive that while it was a choice, it almost wasn't a choice, not a choice to be trans, but just a choice, whether or not you would transition. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an interesting nuance to the thought about pain, you know, pain. And and I appreciate you recognizing it. And what's interesting is I think for a lot of people currently, it is really painful. Mm -hmm. And I, though, I think what I want to say is it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's painful because we are self-identifying as something that most people think is shameful or wrong and that I'm not normal and there's something wrong with me, you know? And so like part of that pain is coming from the external pressure. I would argue that if we lived in a society where, you know, or a culture where gender was not locked into the binary, the way that it is for Western cultures now, I don't know that it would be so painful. If you knew from birth that you could express and that you, that gender was something to be explored, I don't know that we would have the pain. So I think currently we do. And absolutely it is destructive, you know, and, and related to that, I, you know, at the age of 36, I, you know, practice in the field of perform, you know, have background in psychology. I had taught resilience for seven or eight years at that point, you know, like I had a lot of skills in my tool belt to handle that moment and that those months And sometimes I'm like, I wish I knew sooner. You know, I wish that maybe I knew this in high school. And also, I don't know if I would have had the tools to handle it in high school in the way that I was able to. So it's it's an interesting thought for me. Super interesting. I'm curious if there was times where you were mad, where you were like, now I have to use my own damn tools. Because I have that when I'm like going through a hard thing and I'm like, I have to use my own coaching tools on myself. And I'm like, so annoyed. Like, like I didn't sign up to be a coach to coach myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Right. And it was, what was interesting, I think, is, you know, so many of the tools that my counselor used with me in those sessions, I don't think because of that pain, I was not in a space where I could remember to use that. Right. Like he would mm, right. help me identify, you know, that it was constrictive thinking, you know, or like just say, well, what else could be true? And I'm like, I know to ask that question. Like, why didn't I ask that question? <laughs> right. you know? but, so funny. Yeah. I want to acknowledge something else that you said about the pain and the social construct that creates space for that pain to exist because of the shame around transgender people, the shame around transitioning. So a friend and colleague of mine, Ray McDaniel, who's been on the show, they help people work through transitioning with ease. And they really directly address that this does not have to be painful, but society may can make it very painful. And I think that we to look at the process of transitioning and honor it as this path to truth and freedom and something beautiful and like fully realizing yourself finally can be such a huge gift. And I think that it's really important for people listening to see both sides of that, that like culture makes it full of shame, which creates pain. And culture also has the capacity if we choose to make it something very different and potentially really beautiful and affirming and life-giving. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Really important. Let's talk about how your coming out was received by other people. So you talked about your wife. Yeah. You dig a little more into that if you want. And if you want to share around what it was like for other people as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like as I started to come out to more people, second question, I think people would be like, okay, so how are you doing? And the second question would be like, and how's Taryn? You know, Mm -hmm. which is 
totally, you know, how's Taryn and how are the kids? You know, like that was totally understandable. And those people who know Taryn, she is just such a straightforward and honest person that it, I can't say it was a non-issue, but it was just an ongoing conversation. It was something that was, you know, when things came up, we would talk about and we would work through and we had some really amazing conversations that I think have allowed our relationship to deepen, you know, over the course of the last two and a half years or so. So, you know, coming out to her was certainly scary, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because this was the person that I was so afraid would leave me. And also I knew that she would tell me, you know, that we would have honest conversations. And so that was probably the least scary in some ways. But yeah, most of those come in, those moments of coming out are scary in general, and they are vulnerable, I would say, in a really intense way. And I think part of what makes them scary is what I said before, is like when you come out as transgender, you are coming out, you are self-identifying as something that most people think is shameful. Mm-hmm. And often that belief isn't necessarily conscious. It is one mm-hmm. of those implicit messages that we have all received throughout mm-hmm. our upbringing myself included, you know, I would joke that like, I knew nothing about life, you know, the transgender experience until it was my life. Right. You know? And so just through media and pop culture, all of those things, you know, we just have those, that implicit message that there's something wrong with us. And so even though, you know, I'd known myself consciously really for only a few months, it was if I had like never known anything more deeply and more true. And so from early on, I was aching to tell people, and there was, cause there was this part of me like hiding inside that I wanted to finally share with others mm-hmm. and still it has to start small, you know, the people yeah. that you tell. So it's like my counselor, my wife, my sister, my best friends, you know, and, and you tell for me, at least the safest people first, Absolutely. you know, kind of building up all the people in your corner for when you go to the tougher conversations, you know, and thankfully in general, my coming out was received with a lot of love. I know that I surprised a lot of people, probably like every single person that I told, but in general, I was received with love and support. And I am so grateful for that because there are so many trans people who lose really important people in their life when they come out, you know, families, kids, spouses, friends. And I didn't, you know, I kept, and I strengthened a lot of those relationships through this process. The outliers to that general reception of love and support weren't unloving, you know, they just simply expressed doubt or skepticism mm. or shared their fear in their responses. And one story that's a little bit hard for me to share, but feels important to share, particularly here with you and your listeners is coming out to my mom. Mm, yes. Thank you and, in advance, because this is a really important part. Yeah. It's a hard story for me to tell because I love my mom and I, and I know that she loves me and she wants a great life for me. And I have never doubted that. Mm-hmm. And in the two, you know, kind of coming out conversations that I had with her, she did a lot of things wrong mm. to be clear, right? Like some people come out to their parents and they get kicked out of the house and chastised and called horrible names and, and all kinds of things. And that's a whole different level of wrong. The experience that I had with my mom, I think is one that more moms or parents or guardians are likely to fall into because it feels to them like it's coming from a good place. Like it's coming from a protective place of love and concern and care. And I think a lot of times it is coming from that place and it's still misdirected. It doesn't have the impact that they intend. So I had shared my story about counseling and anger and, you know, figuring out that I was transgender and was talking about starting a gender transition. And she said, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And the doubt itself was hard. What was also hard was that I had, I had known that that 
was probably going to be one of the first questions that she asked. And so my mom was not one of the first people that I told. And I couldn't tell her early on because I knew she'd asked that question. I knew she would express some doubt or concerns. Um, And early on, man, I had enough doubt of my own to bring me to my knees on a regular basis. I couldn't handle anyone else's doubt. And so I delayed telling her. As a child and a parent, I can feel both sides of that pain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as our conversation continued, you know, I, I talked about how I'd scheduled an appointment with an endocrinologist to talk about hormone replacement therapy and a surgeon, you know, for a consultation. And she said something kind of funny. She's like, I mean, I can understand wanting to be a boy, right? I was total tomboy growing up. She's like, but I can't understand, you know, wanting to be a man. Like, would you want to go shirtless? Like, do you think you want a beard? At the time I was like, yes, I dream about going to the pool shirtless. <laughs> you know, like I was like, okay. yeah, that's a solid yes. At the time I was not sure that I wanted a beard, but now for sure I'm like every morning I'm like, oh, is this peach fuzz? Like ever <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. You know, so I couldn't quite get her, you know, to understand mm-hmm. that in a way, the fact that I did want those things could yeah. kind of help to shed light on that truth for me. Mm-hmm. That, you know you know, mom, like you couldn't understand these things because you identify with being a woman yeah. and I don't identify with that label. And I am seeking something else that feels more right. And one of the reasons that that's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to share that here with you and your listeners is because I think a lot of parents feel like, okay, once I can wrap my head around this, once I can understand what you're feeling and how sure you are of it, then I'll be able to get behind it and support it. Right. The idea that we have to understand something to support it. And what I want to share is cisgender parents will never fully understand what their transgender child feels or experiences. Right. You know, like you could be an utmost empath and, and still not fully understand it. And that's okay. So mm-hmm. I wanted to share because I want to say, don't wait for that. Don't stop trying to understand, but don't let your full, like unconditional loving support hinge on your understanding of what they're experiencing. Right. Can I pause on terminology for just a second? Sure. Yeah. We've talked about this on the show, but just in case people aren't familiar. So you just use the term uh, cisgender Mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. So cisgender parents would be parents whose, the way I explain it to my son, whose insides and outsides match. So I'm a cisgender parent. I was born female body female brain. Like I identify as a female. Um, and that would be, and you were born female body and male brain identity. And please correct me if I said any of that wrong or weird. Yeah. It's just that I think a more simple form that I would go with is just that you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And to to layer onto that, cause it's like, you don't necessarily, you know, insides, outsides have to change your body, right. To to fit into that. So yeah. Okay. Thank you for simplifying it. And also how language shifts over time that like the language I learned maybe four or five years ago, I was actually just reading about this the other day. I was like, Oh, my language is like now outdated where we can talk about this in a different way now that it is more simple. So, and you just explained that. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to talking to your mom. So talking to your mom and coming out to people. And I'm curious around the, when you're making the decision that you're going to come out to people, I'm curious if part of what feels so scary is that there, I think can be a misconception that you are coming out with a choice. I'm choosing this thing. And this is what I'm choosing moving forward. And like, there's a lot of choice in it. And I am curious if some of the fear is around the fact that none of that felt like, it doesn't sound like felt like a choice. Like you were not choosing to be a male or become a male. 
you were a male. And so there's a level of vulnerability that's different when you are coming out to someone. Cause you're not saying like, I'm making this choice and like, which implies maybe I can make a different choice later. You're saying this is who I am. Yeah. I don't think that that was really on my radar. And I think it was because, you know, the deep, really reflective work that I had done to understand myself, I was clear on that, that it wasn't a choice for me. It was more about what other people would think of, you know, transgender people. It was more of just being worried about their rejection, you know, and and vulnerability. And (laughs) I don't know that there's a more vulnerable thing to say, I am going to tell you the most deep part of myself Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it out here when we are vulnerable, we put something out in the open and what's vulnerable about it is they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. And I don't have a say over it. And so for me, the choice to put it out there wasn't really a choice. It was just so, and I've always kind of been that way, you know, which is just I'm living my life out loud. So for me, it was like, I got to share this and I'm still really scared of what people are going to say. Yeah. So for me, it was less about the choice because I think also, you know, I think you've mentioned it a couple of times that like you could change later. There is something to be said for gender exploration, right? Which is to say, like, I could have said, yeah, I think I'm male and I'm going to go with he, him pronouns. And I could have lived in this for a couple of years and said, wow, like this isn't quite right either. Mm -hmm. So I think there can be a process of exploration for people. And certainly there are people who are gender fluid, right? Mm -hmm. And do identify some days they feel more feminine and prefer she, her pronouns. And some days they feel more masculine and and prefer they, them or he, him. So, yeah. I appreciate that distinction. I think that piece is important as well. Yeah. And because human brains are the way they are, we want to be like, now you fit here and now you fit here and you stay here. And like, and it's absolutely like, it's, you don't necessarily stay in one place forever and you have the right to move through the world as you, in whatever way feels right for you in any given moment. And that can shift. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about how discovering your true self and coming out and transitioning has impacted parenting? Yeah. Man, there's so many ways. Sometimes it's hard for me to pin down. You know, one way that I wrote about in an article for Insider Parenting was how much coming out and transitioning helped me to realize as a parent that like whatever dreams I have from a kid, listen, as parents, as guardians, we all do this. You have these amazing little beings. And what our brains like to do is build a future for them. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> you know, there's so many beautiful futures and, and it's fun. And it's, you know, like it's fun to think of them when they're older and what they'll be doing and what they'll be like. And I think probably it's part of what keeps us connected to the day-to-day life of like getting through it is there's a vision of, of what we see in the future. And so I think it's totally natural that we do that as parents and also just realizing that in whatever dreams, whatever that vision is that we have as parents, it is ours first to let go of the minute we learn something new about our kids. Cause when we hold on to it, and they want our love and approval so much that they will hold on to it also, mm-hmm. even if it's not theirs, if they don't want it. So that's one of, been one of the biggest things is just working really hard to sure create a vision, but create multiple visions and have them mm-hmm. be flexible, you know, or, or more broad so that I don't lock them into something. I love that. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. 
Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I wanna share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Another one, sort of because we were forced into it, was to talk really openly about gender and pronouns with, Mm. you know, at the time, a one and three-year-old. So really mostly our three-year-old at that point, you know, and it's interesting because much like we hope that white parents and white families talk about race and inequity in their homes, even though it's not a direct thing that they are going to experience, you know, on Mm -hmm. the injustice side, you know, I would hope the same that parents who don't necessarily have, you know, gender fluid, you know, different gender divergent, I don't really like that word, but if it's not in your household, doesn't mean we shouldn't still talk about it. Yeah. And so making really just small shifts in age appropriate ways, you know, so we started with some books, you know, because our kids really love to be read to. So we started with some age appropriate books for our kids about gender identity and pronouns and just kind of built from there, you know, and talking with kids about, oh, interesting. So in this book, you know, they reference this character as he. It's like, well, why do you think that is? But then you can talk about, well, he has short hair and, you know, wears jeans. And I'm like, well, doesn't your friend so-and-so also have short hair and wear jeans, (laughs) you know? So you can just help them to understand that like these ways that we learn to split people into genders, that they're constructed and to start getting them thinking about other ways to identify. And so really we talk about, and you know, the only way we really know someone's gender is by what they tell us. Mm-hmm. So if Thank we're not sure, that. we use yeah. they, them. Yeah. yeah. We've had some interesting conversations with my son. So he's nine and interesting conversations on the ski lift. Cause when you're riding up the mountain and you're on there for a few minutes, 
you're looking down at all these people skiing down and you're yeah. like, Oh, look at him and look at her. And it's all based on like the color of a parka yeah. <laughs> because you're covered head to toe. So there's literally no way that you can like determine someone's gender. Totally. And so it's opened the door for some really fascinating conversations. And I will say if like I made one or two notes about it early on and now my son like guides me where I'll be like, Oh, look at her. And he's like, mom, you don't know. <laughs> and so it's interesting how in like, sometimes it can be like, let's sit down and read a book and have a really intentional conversation. And sometimes it's in these moments of like, just think life passing by where you can catch yourself and be like, Oh wait, like, here's a moment where we can really identify or bring a conversation to light around this. Yes, absolutely. And I love the ski, like ski lift is perfect. Cause you're right. It's like, well, we're going to base it generally on, you know, the conversation of your jacket or your, your color, your jacket or your helmet right. or whatever you're wearing. Right. You know, and also with that, like there's, there's other nuanced conversations, which is just to talk about like, wow, it's so interesting. Isn't it? How our default is to say he, mm-hmm. if it's neutral, we tend to go he and like, oh, what's that about? And you can yeah. talk more about just how, you know, like the patriarchal element of our society and how that's our default. And it doesn't have to be, you know, so right. shifting it as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. You believe that most folks already know trans or non-binary people, even if they don't know it or those who don't soon will. And I want to thank you for this conversation because I think that you are bringing your like exposure means so much. And when the more we can learn about people who have a different background from us, the more we can recognize that people are all around us with different backgrounds than us or different stories and different identities. So can you talk a little bit about this sense that we are all walking among each other and how can we do that in an appropriate and respectful way. Yeah. With this, I'll, I'll drop in like just a little bit of research, which is pretty recent. So 2021 Pew Research has indicated that four in 10 Americans now say they know someone who's transgender or uses they, them pronouns. Mm. In 2017, that number was closer to two in 10. Wow. Now I'm convinced that number went up significantly when Elliot Page came out as trans in 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay? <laughs> but like whether or not that's true, There's another statistic from that research, and it's that 56% of Americans still believe that gender can't differ from sex assigned at birth. Say that That, number again, six in 10? 56%. Oh, 56%. So 56%. And that number hasn't changed since 2017. Really? Yeah. Wow. So as a trans person, you combine those statistics, it's scary. It means more people know trans people, but the majority of people still believe that somehow like we aren't real, like that transness doesn't exist. You know, the, my truth somehow isn't real. And that is, is both scary and also mm-hmm. painful. So, yeah. you know, and I do, I, there's a lot of ways you could interpret that data. And mine is to say, you know, I think it's because most people still don't really know in a personal way, yeah. a trans or non-binary human. Yeah, You know, and when we don't know something, if we don't understand it, a common response is to be afraid and to defend what we do know or do believe. Right. You know, I think if more people knew a trans person, if they knew a story like outside of celebrity, like an average person, they would see us as like the loving parents and dedicated and, you know, passionate employees, devoted spouses, caring neighbors that we are like totally average humans that most of us are walking through society, mostly unnoticed. Right. And I think that piece is important that we make a lot of assumptions that we would know and that it would be like super obvious. And there's so many assumptions wrapped up in what people think about transgender people until you know one or more. And then you realize how much you don't know, 
how trans people are all around us. And just like you said, like living very average lives and blending into regular society and yeah, not necessarily, you know, parading around a transgender flag and letting everyone know, because I'm not parading around any flags around my identity either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just living. Yes, absolutely. And so, and it's, that's a big part of the reason why I share my story. Cause like, I'm kind of an average guy. And so, you know, yeah. like just letting people know, and it's, you know, and also, cause then people who knew me before and then can know me now, just how it helps, I think, to understand and to hold that as an experience. Absolutely. So that's one of the things I like to share when I talk about like, why is it important? Because I think with 56% of people still not believing it can be true. That, you know, I mean, society is still pretty unsafe for trans people. And yeah. I think in fact, you know, the violence against trans people was the worst that has ever been in the past year and a half, I think. So a couple of things, you know, I just, that I like to share or wait, you know, different ways that cisgender people can support or show their support of the trans community. And one is just like normalize sharing your pronouns when you can. And not like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be every time, you know, but when you introduce yourself or in your email signature or your zoom settings, cause it's a pretty clear signal that you're aware that pronouns matter. Yeah. And so, and, and it also usually signals that as, you know, from my perspective, okay, this person has some awareness and like, generally, I think I can feel pretty safe with them, you know, if I needed to. The other thing I like, and we've already talked about this a little bit is retraining ourselves to use gender neutral language as our default setting, right? So simple things like switching from ladies and gentlemen to good people or everybody, you know, like different ways we can address terms using terms like y'all instead of you guys. Listen, I'm not mm-hmm. from the South, but I have fully adopted both in saying and writing y'all. Same. I say you all. Cause I feel like I like, don't, I haven't earned y'all, but I'm, I, I say Fair. you all all the time now. And I will also say for people listening, cause I think this is an important, like the learning curve. I am really good at typing it. I am like verbalization is still like my default. I often, and I'll catch myself in a meeting. I'll be like, yep, guys. And then I'm like, oh, I should have said you all. So I can catch myself in a text or an email, but it's still like, it's really fascinating how ingrained it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and it's a process, right? To make Mm -hmm. these changes. And and also instead of saying he or she, just simply saying they, you know, like a good leader shares his or her leadership philosophy with others can be a good leader shares their philosophy with others. Right. And I know, you know, I'm guessing you've had, you know, other guests talking about they, them and the singular Mm -hmm. form being hard for people. It's not grammatically correct. The exercise I have people do is to say, try this. If you had a party at your house and after everybody left, you noticed that somebody had left an umbrella, you would probably say, shoot, that's too bad. I hope they come back for it. We do it all the time. (laughs) We're just not as comfortable. We use they all the time in a singular form. We're just not as comfortable when we're talking about a specific human. Right. So it's not about the grammatical incorrectness of it. It's that it's just uncomfortable. Right. Right. So yeah, it's about like the laziness of inconvenience, which is (laughs) how I not so lovingly talk about it. So I was at Trader Joe's a while ago. And I overheard this woman who's been working there forever, introducing herself to a new employee. So they're like putting produce away. And so the woman like puts some broccoli on the shelf and turns to the new employee and says, oh, hey, and I don't remember her name, but Jennifer or something. She's like, hey, I'm Jennifer. My pronouns are she, her. I haven't met you yet. And the other person said her name identified pronouns as she, her. And I was like, that's how simple it is. Like, it wasn't like this weird, like, can I ask you, what do you like? It was just like, I'm Jennifer, she, her. <laughs> and I, I, it stuck with me because I'm like, it's that easy, but we get so like weird about our 
own stuff that we don't think to do that. And same thing, like putting our pronouns on zoom to your point, as soon as you lead with that, there creates safety for other people. And that's how we can show support, show allyship, but also like stay connected. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good example of just like a live, you know, doing that in person, I think is probably one of the hardest steps for people to take. Cause we do, we have this, like, should I say this, you know, but yeah, it's fantastic with people, yeah. you know, to get, and so, so there's progress and we'll get in there for sure. Absolutely. In our last minute here, kind of a big question, but I want to touch on it. What advice do you have for parents, guardians of a child who identifies as trans or non-binary or is gender expansive or diverse in their gender identity and expression? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've narrowed this down to like four kind of key things that that I would ask parents to think about. And it's certainly not all inclusive, but I hope that it's a good start. And the very first thing is believe them, like believe who they say they are. And the second is tell them that they are glad that you're glad they told you. You know, one thing I, I like to remind people is that Listen, by the time that most of us come around to sharing this news with other people, we have already been on like one hell of a journey. Yeah. Um, and so accept that gift for, for the gift that it is that they're willing to share that with you. The third thing is that if you are struggling with any part of their identity or their transition or even their questioning, like they're just not sure, please realize and recognize that that is your stuff to work out on your own. Ideally with a therapist, you know, someone who's trained not to say, don't talk to your kids about it, but make sure, you know, there's going to be some regulation, some self-regulation on your part that it's not their lift to carry. And I think the fourth thing is, we talked about this a little bit that like, even now, you know, for all parents out there, maybe a kid hasn't come to you yet, either your kid or a friend's kid, start thinking about gender as something beautiful to be explored. You know, just start putting that in your mind to say, you know, like, why not let kids explore their gender identity and their gender expression, you know, and usually the answer is simply, it makes us uncomfortable to think about that. You know, it's just because of the way, you know, old stereotypes, the way that it's always been the media movies, or as a parent that we're afraid they'll be made fun of, right? If my kid expresses something different and I feel that as a parent for sure, but changing or trying to change who they are to avoid that. It's not the lesson that most of us want to be teaching our kids or passing along. And so I say instead, like, think of gender as something beautiful to be explored and be in it with them, you know, build up your belief in them, whoever it is that they are, to give them the strength to withstand the criticism that they'll face from the outside. Because really, you know, that is what will serve them best in the long run. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was incredibly helpful. I want people to like pause, rewind, listen again. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, This has been such a valuable conversation. I so appreciate everything that you shared here, all the ways that you are showing up in the world, speaking and educating, sharing your story. Oh my goodness. There's so much work to be done, but I also know that like every single conversation like this, Piers just has ripples and ripples and ripples. So Thank you for being here. Can you tell us before we have you share your contact information and everything and where to find you? Tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless dad. Ah, uh, yeah. I think talking openly with other parents, you know, like about that parenting is hard, you know, like acknowledging that it doesn't mean, you know, we're weak or we don't love being parents or our kids, but it's just probably one of the hardest things we're all going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, and recognizing it's many, that. many years of hard too. It's not like a couple of months of hard. Yeah. And, and for me, it's a little easier, I think, because the work that I do otherwise, you know, looking at 
you know, the research around stress is like the things that bring us the most stress are also the things that bring us the most meaning. Yeah. And, you know, we wouldn't change it for the world. And so recognizing and acknowledging, you know, the meaning that it brings. So I think, you know, my wife and I both were, were really open about that parenting is hard talking to friends. And then I think also, you know, knowing that being shameless parents is, you know, identifying, like finding that identity alongside and, and after parenthood. So something Taryn and I are working on is really actively working on is, you know, we both have side hustles of things that are very fulfilling for us. She recently started a photography business because it's something she's really passionate about and she loves and it's enabled her to like get out on these amazing outdoor adventures. And frankly, she's really, really good at it too. So, you know, working together to lay out a vision of like, what do we want life to look like? And then like, how do we back in the steps to make that happen? So that's just a process that we are constantly working on. I love it. Where can people find you and how do you work with people? I want like promote anything you can promote about yourself. (laughs) Sure. This Um, is your open forum only because I want you to have every opportunity to continue doing what you're doing. (laughs) Cool. I really appreciate that. Instagram is by far the best place to find me. I promise that I have tried Snapchat and TikTok and I can't get (laughs) into it. So like, I'm going to stick with my generational identity that Instagram is the place that I live. Love it. So my handle is at peers.kowalski. And then I just share snippets about my ongoing journey because it is an ongoing journey, you know, my family, life, all that kind of stuff. And I have a second handle on Instagram, which is at Piers Kowalski with no dot. And that's more of my professional work that I do in terms of, you know, performance psychology and resilience and leadership training. So, but that's where you can find me. Nice. Okay. The one without the period is the work one or professional one, I guess. And they both kind of link, you can find one from the other. Okay. I think I've actually been, yeah, I think I've hunted you down on both. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, and if people are in need of a speaker and like you're, that's what you do professionally. So people can hire you to speak. You can speak to groups. I'm assuming you can speak in person and on zoom and all those things as well. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we will link to your Instagram on our show notes. People can go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Piers Kowalski and the links to Instagram will be right there. Oh my goodness. This was an incredible conversation. Thank you. Thank you for the, all the ways you're showing up in the world. I so appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. And I, you know, I really appreciate the way that you use your platform to share stories like mine, you know, and just getting the stories out to so many other people. So thank you for what you do. Thanks Piers. Yeah. One final note before I let you go, if you are interested in getting information on open enrollment for Momentum Mamas, our membership community, next week when that opens up, the week of June 6th, you want to make sure that you are on our email list before then. So make sure you pop over to shamelessmom.com slash newsletter to join our email list and get all of our Momentum Mamas updates sent right to your inbox. That's shamelessmom.com slash newsletter. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. 
episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.